You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Hey, have you ever been stuck on an airplane with a crying baby? Or maybe, maybe in a hotel room, maybe it was your baby in, uh, on the airplane. Uh, maybe in a hotel room, you know, middle of the night, you're trying to sleep, and on the other side of that sheet of paper they call a wall, there's a colicky baby crying all night. If you've ever experienced that, then you know a little bit about what it was like to be in the Corinthian church. So Paul, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 today, and Paul, he's got some, some harsh words for the Corinthians. He's going to call them a bunch of babies, not because they're cute. No, it's because the, the most immature in the church were wreaking havoc and making it miserable for everybody. See, the church in Corinth, they're in a civil war, essentially. They're at war with each other. They're at war with Paul over who's your favorite teacher. Can you imagine? Boy, we're so evolved. We would never do that uh, today. And this was happening because they lived in a uh, celebrity, experiencing, chasing culture, and they were importing that culture into the church. And while they were doing that, the instigators were saying, well, we're more mature, we're more spiritual, we're more, more wise than everyone else. And, and Paul stops it in, its tra- in, its, in their tracks, and he addresses them and says, it's actually the opposite. You're not more mature. You're babies. You're infants. And his big idea, I think, it's our big idea today, is this. How mature you are is revealed by the type of community you build. How mature you are, the evidence for that, it's revealed by the type of community that you build around you. So with that, let's open up 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll read the first few verses and talk about it and then move on. Verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, Apollos, are you not being merely human? So Paul, in the first four verses, he's kind of introducing the problems, and there's three. There's three problems, and it's the same three problems we can have. Problem number one, you can act contrary to your identity. You can act contrary to your identity, your nature, who you really are. And so we got to remember the context, and we got to do this all throughout 1 Corinthians, y'all. I'm sorry, Paul loves really long arguments in 1 Corinthians. It's just the way it is. So this, we're in the middle of an argument that actually goes back to chapter 1, verse 10. It'll go all the way through the end of chapter 4, okay? Last week, he introduced two categories. He said all of humanity is divided into two categories. There is the natural person, us, unaided, just our human nature. And we would call those the lost, the, those who are still, they remain in their sins. They are without the Holy Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit. So that's one category. Category two is the natural person. I'm sorry, the spiritual person. And the spiritual person is simply the one who has the Holy Spirit. 
and the Holy Spirit has caused him to believe. And so the most miraculous spiritual gift God can give a person is the gift of belief. That's the spiritual person, the one who has belief. So essentially separating them into Christians and non-Christians. And the problem in the Corinthian church is that the spiritual were acting human. They were acting natural. And so Paul here, he introduces a third category, the fleshly, where he says, of the flesh. And y'all, this is one of those areas where the Bible is so true to life. This is how life is. This word flesh, it's the word sarx, the fleshly. Paul, he often uses it to talk about our sinful nature. Or in Ephesians 4, he calls it the old man. And so when we become spiritual, the Bible says, that old man, that flesh, it doesn't automatically just disappear and, and go away. There still remains a part of us that loves sin. There still remains a part of us that wants it to all be about us and not about God. But I don't think anyone's ever described it better than Martin Luther. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, I thought that the old man drowned in the waters of my baptism, but I discovered that miserable wretch can swim. <laughs> You've probably found that out too, haven't you? That old miserable wretch, that old sinful nature, he can swim. Everyone, everyone here has to wake up every morning living in that tension between the Spirit of God in you that wants what God wants and your flesh that wants what you want. Now, he's, he's careful here. He says they're still Christians. He calls them brothers over and over again. He says they have the Holy Spirit. He ended the last chapter by saying you have the mind of Christ. They are believers, but they're not acting like it. So he says in verse 3, you're behaving in a human way. That, that word behaving, it literally means walking. You are walking the world's path, not God's path. And this is an image that the Bible uses over and over again, especially in the Old Testament. This idea of walking, it's describing living your daily life according to who God is and, and his character and who he wants us to be. And so think Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of of the wicked. That's what they were doing. They were walking in the council, following the way of life of the culture around them. And so the picture is, you can see the picture, when it comes to things like wisdom, spirituality, maturity, the culture has a path that it says, this is the way you go towards those things, but God has a different path. And he says, no, this is the way you go towards maturity, towards spirituality, towards wisdom. Paul says you're walking the human path instead of God's path in your life. So that's problem one. Problem two, you can be a Christian and lack spiritual growth. You can be a Christian, and just because years go by and you get older doesn't actually definitely mean you get more and more mature. And so he says they are still infants. All I can feed you is bottles of milk and those little star crackers that we feed all the babies. And he's careful, y'all. He says, that's okay at first. He says, you know, we shouldn't expect baby Christians to be mature. He said, I started off feeding you that milk because you were a new Christian. That's what we should do. In fact, you can see this in the original language. He uses different variations of that word flesh in verse 1 and verse 3. So the first time he says it, he says, you're in the flesh. It's, and it's kind of a way of saying, that's your natural state. That's who you are, and you can't help it. You can't be anything different. But then the second time he uses it in verse 3, it's like he's saying, but you're still in the flesh. You, you can do something about it. So he's saying, when I first met you, you were a baby. Nothing wrong with that. But you're still a baby. 
We, we got to change this. We got to do something about it. And then he uses what's going to be a gross analogy, okay? But don't get mad at me. Paul used it, not me, okay? He talks about what he feeds a baby. Now, what happens when you give an infant food that they are not mature enough to digest? In fact, Clint Carroll just this morning told me a story about his baby throwing up all over him. So thank you, Clint. Always good to have you. (laughs) I mean, any parent, I'm sure, has been at some moment in your life shocked uh, by the volume and the distance with which a baby can send back the food, the wrong food you gave them, okay? That's what they're doing with Paul's teaching. They're spitting it back out. Return to sender at high velocity. And they thought they were doing it because they were more mature, more wise, more spiritual. And Paul says, no, you keep spitting back the truth because you're still a baby. You're too immature. And Paul wants to do something about it. He insists on doing something about it. Y'all, Paul could have just gone to Ephesus, gone his merry way and said, those bunch of babies, they can just all play and fight together and I'll go do something else. No, he won't drop it. And I think this is instructive for us. And listen, I want everyone to hear this. Y'all, this is so crucial for our moment. I want you to know, it is not the job of this church and its leaders to grow the church. It is not our job to grow the church. It is our job to grow people. We are here. The church exists to grow people. We grow people, not the church. And we have to get this straight because in our world, one of the easiest ways to grow a church is to keep everyone as spiritual infants. Let me see if I can illustrate what I'm getting at here. Have you ever been jealous of a baby? I mean, their life is kind of great, isn't it? I mean, no one really expects much of them. They put them in a stroller. Somebody else pushes you wherever you want to go, and you just take a nap whenever you want. You take a nap. And then when you're hungry, somebody else feeds you. Somebody else makes sure you're comfortable, and you're like the most popular person around. They're so popular, even though they've not done anything with their life. Not a thing. Baby's life is actually pretty great. At least it's easy. And you know, I'd argue if we look around, a huge percentage of our Christian culture has figured out the fastest way to grow a church is to keep people happy the same way you keep a baby happy. Well-fed, entertained, positive messages, someone else does everything for them. In fact, I would argue many ministries are designed to nurse adult babies. Paul has no interest in that. Paul has no interest in winning the popularity contest that they are trying to put him in the middle of. He is interested in maturing them. He is interested in their spiritual maturity. And we're going to see what that looks like in a second, but just know it won't be easy, y'all. Growing up is hard, but you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. That's our third, brings us to our third problem. Your immaturity affects everyone else. Your immaturity affects 
everyone else. There's one area of Paul's teaching in particular that they're spitting back up. They can't digest. And it is his theology of community. Their immaturity was most evident in community. And that's why Paul compares them to babies. So you say what you want about babies, but they are the most selfish human beings on earth, right? So when a baby is hungry, it's going to cry until it gets what it wants. It doesn't care if you're in the middle of a Zoom meeting at work. It doesn't care if you're in a confined space thousands of feet in the air. It has no concept, no concept of how its actions affect everyone else. It just wants what it wants. That's all it knows. All of the manifestations of the Corinthian immaturity have to do with relationships. He points out jealousy, envy. I want what you have, and I'll throw a fit to get it. You know, it never since ceases to amaze me. You can put two toddlers in a toy store, I mean, in a room full of hundreds of toys, and guess what toy each toddler is going to want? The one the other one has, right? Every single time. It's not a sign of maturity. Strife, arguing, fighting, contending. You want your way so bad you were willing to fight anyone and everyone to get it. It talks about divisions. You're dividing over your personal preferences. Everyone's dividing up over whose team they're on, and they are demonizing the other team. So that's why Paul says in verse 4, you are merely human when you're doing this. You're acting just like the world. You're acting like those without the Holy Spirit. You don't need Jesus for any of this stuff you're doing, so don't call it maturity. Don't call it spiritual. It's merely human. Did you know, did you know, men and women, that your spiritual maturity is not just a private matter? It's not. You know, most people, and me a lot of times, if you ask them, hey, are, are you spiritually maturing? Are you growing? They'll kind of do this, the spiritual equivalent of taking their own temperature. You know, stick it under my tongue, test my internal state and how it's doing. And so, yep, 98.6 degrees, I'm healthy. Most people, yes, are you spiritually maturing? Are you growing? They're going to look on the inside. So, um, you know, am I reading my Bible? Am I growing? Okay, looks great. That's not what Paul says here. Paul is saying, if you want to test your spiritual health, don't look inside yourself, look around yourself. Paul says how mature you are is revealed by the type of community you build. That's how you test your maturity. So I don't, I don't care how mature, spiritual, and wise you think you are internally. If you look around and there is only jealousy and strife and divisions, you are not mature. You're still an infant. And that's what the next three illustrations are about. So Paul is going to give us three illustrations, three pictures to kind of show us what he's talking about. And all of them essentially are different angles to the same thing. All of them are essentially saying Christian maturity looks like healthy community. Let's pick it back up in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. Each will receive wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So the first analogy he gives us is a farm. 
And he starts off interesting. He says in verse 5, what is Paul? What is Apollos? Well, shouldn't he have said, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But he doesn't. He says what? He is de-elevating himself and Apollos as individuals. He's saying, get us off your pedestals. We don't want to be there. It's not about us. It's about God. So he says, all we are is workers, laborers in God's farm. You see, men and women, Paul and Apollos weren't the problem. In fact, there is no evidence that Apollos was anything but a a faithful apostle who Paul trusted. In fact, at the end of the book, he's going to say, I'm sending for Apollos. In fact, some of church history says Apollos got so fed up with the Corinthians that he left the church. He wanted no part of it. And that would explain, so at the end of the book, in 16.2, Paul's going to say, I strongly urge Apollos to visit you, but it was not at all in his will. Translation, he didn't want to come. The point of this farm analogy is the interdependence of the workers and our collective dependence on God. As workers, we're, we're interdependent all on one another. So in verse 8, he says, we're all one, all of us workers. Verse 9, he says, we are fellow workers. He's saying ministry is done in community. It's done in community. It takes everyone working this farm and contributing. Because listen, if your gift is watering, but you're not in community with the one who plants, you're just growing mud. That's all you're doing. Vice versa, if, you're, if your gift is planting the seed, but you're not in community with the one who is watering, you're just having a funeral for a bunch of seeds. That's all you're doing. Nothing's going to grow. But all of us are dependent on God. In the original Greek, almost every sentence here starts with the word God. It's like he's just saying, God, 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 oh, and God. That's how, how it reads in the Greek. It's all about God. What? What am I? What is Apollos? We're nothing. And he says, God's part is way bigger than our part. Way bigger. He says, Paul and Paulus, we we simply planted. That's in the aorist tense. It's like past tense. So, okay, a year and a half ago, we did a couple things. However, when he talks about God, he he says God gives continuous growth. It's in the imperfect tense. It's, It's ongoing. So, All the emphasis is on God's continuous, nonstop action. He's saying, listen, I may go plant and water all day, but I'm eventually going to get tired, and I'm going to bed. God doesn't go to bed. God's never not working. And so he's using this metaphor to completely undercut their cliquish, celebrity-chasing behavior that they have going on in Corinth. He's saying all Christians, we almost all work together, and all of us are powerless without the one who causes the growth. So let's stop dividing over who our favorite teacher is. Question for you this morning. When it comes to church, when it comes to ministry, do you think most about men or most about God? Is it about who your favorite teacher is or podcast or singer? Or do you look through that and see the God behind it all? This is the mindset of the mature Christian. All of us are interdependent on one another, no matter what our gifts and talents are. And all of us are dependent on God who causes the growth. 
Next question. Are you ready to work? Paul's idea of maturity here is to become a fellow worker. And this comes out even more in the second illustration. So the second illustration is a building. We'll pick it back up in verse 10. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. The work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Paul here says that each and every Christian is responsible for the type of work he does on this building. See, this is the difference, men and women. This is the difference between the church and Starbucks. So at Starbucks, you go and you're a customer. And, and, and then there's a they. The they is on the other side of the counter, the workers, the managers, and everything. So, so you order and they make it. If there's something you don't like, you know, you file a complaint and they fix it or not. But in the church, men and women, there isn't a they. There's no they. There's only we. That's all there is. We are all fellow builders. There are no customers. You know, this is one of the areas we have to be very careful not to live according to the flesh or operate in a merely human way or walk the path of the world because almost everywhere else in our culture, I'm a customer. I'm a consumer. And what, what's the sign of a mature consumer? Well, I find the best provider. You know, the one's got the best coffee, uh, the one that's got the, the cheapest prices, the one that has the best customer service. You know, and I'm, I'm a regular there, and, that, and I go there all the time. They know me. Y'all, the sign of spiritual maturity, it is not the type of ministry you consume. That's not the sign of spiritual maturity. How mature you are is revealed by the type of community you build. So what type of community, what is the type of community that we build? The type that grows and matures people. Well, next he says, it's the type that is built on the cross. That's what he says in verse 11. His emphasis is on the first, on the first three chapters when he talks about Jesus. His emphasis over and over has been the cross. And so he's saying the type of community we build needs to match the cross. And remember, remember the problems. Remember the, the problems he's addressing. Jealousy, strife division. The cross is the polar opposite of all of those things. Jealousy is wanting to take from others for yourself. The cross is where Jesus sacrificed himself and freely gave all he had. Strife is wanting to put others down to build yourself up. The cross is where Jesus humbled himself so that we could be exalted as sons of God. Divisions separate people into their own tribes. But the Bible says, through the cross, Jesus created a church from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. All in one body. So 
So men and women, we cannot claim to follow a Christ who was crucified and then cause jealousy, strife, and divisions in his name. If your focus, listen, if your focus every week, every Sunday morning is creating the best personal experience for yourself to the detriment of the community and at the cost of others, it's not built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's not built on the foundation of the cross. Next, next he points out that building, it's not optional. The question here isn't if you're building, but what you're building with. So he he lists several building materials in verse 12, and you kind of break them into two categories. There's gold, silver, precious stones. Then there's wood, hay, and straw. And the difference between these two categories is what happens when fire comes. He says they will be tested with fire. He says, so whatever, whatever material you're building with, you may not be able to tell now, but one day he says it will become manifest. Now that word manifest, it's apocalypto. It's a word for revelation. Revelation is coming. The day, a day of trial and testing from the Lord is coming. And he, he calls that a fire. The Bible does that over and over again. It calls this test a fire. Now, what happens when fire hits wood, straw, and hay? It burns up. It's going to be gone in a couple minutes. It's going to disappear. So what he's telling them, what you thought was so wise and so spiritual, go up and smoke. It's going to be gone. But what happens when gold, silver, and precious stones encounter fire? They're purified. What was beautiful and valuable already becomes even more so. You need to know what what you do with God's church. It will be revealed and there will be consequences. You need to know this. Now he says, in verse 15, again, he's careful to say, it's not a salvation issue. He says, you will be saved, but he says, you can suffer loss. You can. It's just, this is a sobering warning here from Paul, maybe the most sobering in all of the New Testament. He says, building your own house instead of God's house will come at a price. Coming to church like a baby, I want what I want. I don't really care how it affects other people. It will leave you suffering a great loss. Have you ever, maybe you've experienced yourself or you've known someone who's lost their house in a fire? Or maybe you've seen them on the news when a wildfire comes, like happened in Hawaii. And in just a few minutes, everything they had, everything they owned is burned up. Is it's you watch this? It's it's a profound sense of loss. These people say, I, "I've lost my whole life, a lifetime of work, a lifetime of memories and savings and collecting. It's all it was all gone in an instant. I'll never have it again." Paul's saying, "This is what it will be like if you are not careful. I worked my whole life building this life for myself, and it's all gone." But. If you build God's church, when the judgment comes, what will be left will be even more valuable, even more precious, even more beautiful than it ever was before. What a contrast. Which one do you want? Which one do you want to spend your life 
building with. Can I tell you what's most surprising to me about these verses here? Almost every time I've heard these verses preached, verse 13 through 15, almost every time I've heard them taught, it's taught as personal reward for personal holiness. And so it's something like, you know, there'll be rewards for the mature. And so, okay, am, am I close to God? Am I avoiding sin? Am I doing my quiet time? Am I growing in my personal walk with the Lord? And if so, then there'll be some kind of reward for that. And maybe it involves other people a little bit, but only to the extent that I'm thinking about them or the way that I'm treating them. You know, am I loving them? Am I, am I being their neighbor? Men and women, that, that is not what Paul is saying here at all. Paul is saying, you will give an account that is not you focused. You will give an account for how you built his church. And so the test on that day, the test of your maturity won't be your personal experience. Let me say that again. The test of maturity is not your personal experience. It actually has far more to do with the spiritual growth of the people that God has put around you, the community that he has placed you in. See, if you see the people around you growing, then you know you are a builder. You are a fellow worker. You know that's some gold and silver and precious stones that are around me. So listen, if you want to mature in Christ, and I hope you do, don't just look inside you, look around you. Look around you. Because when the day of the Lord comes, how mature you are will be revealed by the type of community you built. And next he tells us why. Why this is so important, why he's given us such sober warnings. It's because, y'all, this isn't just any building. Verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let's get one thing right here. When he says you, he's not talking about you individually, the collective you together, all the fellow workers together, you are a temple of God. Paul uses a very specific word here. So there's another word he could have used, just kind of a general word for temple, the word hieros. And that's a you know, general word for any temple to any God or even to the, to the Jewish temple. It's kind of the word for the generic whole temple complex. But that's not the word that Paul uses here. Paul uses the word naos. That word means dwelling. And it refers to the particular room where God himself resides the holy of holies. He's saying, church, Christian community, this is the place where God dwells. As a church body, we visibly represent the living God on earth. And y'all, that's why verse 17 is such strong language because what's at stake isn't how people think about you or how they experience you. What's at stake is how they experience God. Now, this is, it's important to remember. It's so important to remember because it's been my experience that people that divide the church, that stir up strife, that stir up jealousy, they usually think they're the most spiritual. They're the most mature. They're the most wise. You know, nobody, everyone else doesn't get it. They all don't get it. In fact, I've heard many people argue, I'm too spiritual to participate in church. I'm so spiritual that I just can't be around all those unspiritual people. 
What Paul wants the Corinthians to understand is, listen, you can shake and glow in the dark and get all the warm fuzzies and memorize the whole Bible, but if the community isn't healthy, you aren't mature. You aren't more spiritual. Because how mature you are is revealed by the type of community you build. Y'all, this is why we do things like life groups. Because, listen, we too live in a culture of celebrity preachers and personal experience, don't we? I mean, we've just recreated what, the, what Corinth had going on. And there's lots of people who will spend lots of money. They're very smart marketing to us that what you need for your spiritual maturity is here, my book that I'm selling, or to come to my conference. When often what we actually need to mature is to regularly show up in this community God has placed us in and plant and water for someone else's spiritual growth. What we actually need is to build on top of what all these people have built that has come before us. And Paul is saying, when we do that, God is creating his naos. God is creating his dwelling place in White House, Texas. It's a sobering reminder, isn't it? You know, it's going to be difficult. It's hard because you know what? Growing up is hard. It is hard to learn to think outside ourselves. It's hard to, to grow up. So Paul is going to close with a reminder of why it's worth it. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. What Paul is giving us here is a, a summary of what he's wanting them to understand from the first three chapters. And he says, listen, you think you're being wise, mature, and spiritual. The problem is you're using the world's definitions. You can't use their definitions. If you want to be wise and mature and spiritual in the church, then you got to get ready to be weird in the world. So he says, listen, be a fool. Be a fool according to the world. Let him look at you and be like, he's wasting it. What is he doing? Who would do that? Who would we willingly be called a fool by all his coworkers and neighbors and family? The ones who are in awe of all God has done for them. In verse 21, Paul starts leading them in worship. He says, all are yours. He says, Paul and Apollos, but not just them. Then all of a sudden he starts talking about things like the world and life and death and present and the future. It's Paul's way of saying, listen, y'all, this is so much deeper than just who your favorite teacher is. Everything, everything is from God and for your good. God has not held back one good thing from you. It's similar to Romans 8, 28, when Paul says, God, this amazing God we have can work all things together for the good of those who love him. You know, we, what, what brings up jealousy and strife and divisions? It's when we think resources are sparse. And there's not enough to go around. And so we got to fight each other for what we need. 
But Paul here, he echoes the language that Jesus himself used in one of his most popular parables, the prodigal son. You remember the wayward younger son? He comes home and the father runs out to meet him. He throws a big party and kills the fatted calf and gives him the cloak and throws a big party. You remember the older brother? Jealousy, strife. I want what he has. He pitches a fit. Do you remember what the father tells him? Father pulls him close and says, Son, all I have is yours. I have not withheld one good thing from you. The thing about being my son is that this is all for you and for your good. See, the human path to maturity says, I need more. The godly path says, I already have it all. God has already graciously given me all things. I don't have to earn anything. I don't have to fight for anything. It is all a gift from his hand. You know why Paul's made such a big deal about the cross these first few chapters? It's because the crucified Jesus is God the Father saying to you, it's all yours. It's all yours. So Paul, Paul asks this question in Romans 8. He who did not spare his sons, how will he not also graciously give us all things? He's saying, guys, he didn't hold back his son. He's not holding back anything that's good. In Christ, you have everything you need from God. And so this morning for you, just wherever you're at, what, what, are you, what is your next step in spiritual maturity? It may be a time to rethink that. And let me first say, you know, for some here, before you can mature, you need to be born again. Isn't that how it works? You got to be born before you mature. And you've been working hard, trying to be a good person, trying to be real, really spiritual, but that's all just the human path. That's all just merely human. That's just being natural. You need something supernatural. You need the God who created you to come on earth, live a perfect life, die for your sins, and rise again. And say, hey, everything you need, here it is, wrapped up in a bow. It's a gift. If that's you this morning, just believe. That's all you can do is believe in Jesus. And if you haven't done that, listen, you can talk to any of our members, any Christian, or you can come talk to me, any of our elders. We'd love to talk to you after the service. For others, for those who are spiritual, but man, we got that old man who knows how to swim living inside of us. Y'all, stop knocking each other down trying to earn what God has already graciously given you. You know, Melissa, my wife, she has a saying in our house, are you building up or tearing down? Now, my kids know by now, but if they get asked that question, it's not because they've been building up. It's because they've been using the words to tear down. How about you? With your words, with your life, with your resources, are you building up or are you tearing down the church? And listen, if you're tearing down, you can call it whatever you want, but don't call it spiritual. Don't call it mature. How mature you are is revealed by the type of community you build. And so church, Bethel Bible Church of White House, let's not build a temple to our personal preferences. Let's not build a nursery of fat and happy spoon-fed babies. Let's build a temple to the living God who so loved the world he gave his one and only son. Let's pray.
Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.